Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a senior research analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices in human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high-performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices. From HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. In late August of 2022, my colleagues Kevin Martin and Catherine Brecken hosted a conversation with Amaris McComas, Chief People Officer for CPSI, a leading provider of healthcare solutions and services for community hospitals, clinics, and post-acute care facilities. They discussed her leadership style, their search for a new CEO, the HR restructuring they have gone through, their focus on values without using corporate lingo, and much more. Here now is that discussion with Amaris McComas. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon to some. Good morning to wherever you are coming from. Um, not surprised. I'd say I, I would answer the someone healthy as well um, at CPSI. So when I, it's interesting, I was looking at the five components that you had for highest performing or, or you know, kind of next practices on the culture. And I think a lot of us have operated in environments where we strive to do that, but it's not actually happening. So I think we'll we'll talk about a lot of pieces today, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure Kevin will ask me about a, a couple of these. But when I think about CPSN and where we are in our journey, if I go backwards, even a year ago, I recognize that we were a very transactional kind of organization. There was not a lot of clarity on mobility and how we deem performance as, as part of our culture, our fabric, our DNA. It, we talked a lot about innovation, but it was kind of overplayed because we were not putting things behind it that really invested in what does innovation mean to us and how are we actually compensating and rewarding our employees for doing things that are driving innovation. So that's changed uh, too. So some of those things are interesting to see in this poll because I think that I, I would say most of us are into someone healthy. I love talking to people that are in the super healthy, very healthy culture, because it really helps drive focus in what they're doing that may work. And if you're in a somewhat toxic, you know, it's there's a lot of reflection to do, not just on the organization, but I think on a, as an individual in, in how, what brings you happiness, what do you want to do, and, and how can you make a change towards the better? And that's easier said than done in some organizations, so. So true, so true. Um, so we should probably start also with an introduction to you. Would you be so kind as to tell us about yourself, your journey, and a little bit about um, your organization, CPSI, is one of the leading healthcare providers um, for community uh, hospitals and clinics. We'd love to hear more about that. Happy to. So Amaris Macomas, as mentioned before, I have been in the people space my whole entire career. It's where I have passion. I love it. Um, don't know if I'll ever leave it. I'm born and raised in Puerto Rico. So, um, you know, my multi-generational, my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents are all born and raised in Puerto Rico. Um, I had the, you know, kind of beautiful upbringing, one brother, and decided to move to the States um, after college and, um, and moved to Charlotte. That was my first end um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. A little different than Puerto Rico, a little different than Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I went to school. 
and really has been a fascinating journey. Um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now, but I've lived in three different cities um, through my professional career. Um, I have three children. I have twin boys and a third um, teenager going into high school on Monday. So that's been a little bit of our past week journey, which a lot of you I'm sure have faced in the past few weeks. And um, I work for CPSI and CPSI has been a blessing for me. So when we talk about culture, there's the environment, the overall company culture, and then there's also the behaviors and the people that are around you every day. And I've been I'm chief people officer for a year and a few months since I joined the organization. CPSI is a healthcare solutions company. So when you think about um, the technology that goes into the community and rural hospitals, that's one of the pieces of, of servicing that we do. But we also actually do a lot of outsourcing for um, hospitals in general. So when you think about medical coding, medical billing, really anything that's going to enhance the effectiveness and efficiency of a hospital system to deliver care, we actually um, outsource for them. So that's kind of the two biggest businesses. We also have other products, but I would say that's where we play most of our time. And it is pretty fascinating to go back to healthcare. I, I had a stint there for a while back in the day. And it's just great to be part of a group that has such a purpose and a mission and something that you can connect to that you know that what we're doing is ultimately making sure that the patient is at the center of care because we're facilitating and making everything else simpler. And that that's a great place to be. You know, as, as a chief people officer and as someone that's trying to really change the culture of CPSI, which has been around for many, many, many years, it is, it, it's a wonderful place to be with a lot of really good people. You know, Amaris, um, just a little bit more about uh, CPSI. So so how many employees? Is it about 2,500 employees or so? Or That's right. We're 2,500 okay. across the country. Okay. So, and, and you're at the parent company of five or six other organizations. Is that correct? Yeah, it kind of, I see them as business units, you know, CPSI is really the company, um, but we have different brands because we do serve different markets. So if you look at our kind of logos, we have a few of them. Um, We have actually a a business that's international and that's all about patient kind of connectivity. Um, In other countries, healthcare is a little more open. It's a little easier to navigate with data. So we actually um, have a platform where you can aggregate all your data for wherever healthcare kind of pieces you have, and you can see everything in one, which we would love for that to be here um, in a more holistic way. And we're working on it to influence how that changes, hopefully in the U.S. But yeah, so that's different brands, but still all under CPSI. Got it. Got it. And so does HR, does your HR organization service those various brands since they're treated as business units? Okay. Yes. Perfect. And, and, you know, one of the things you, you, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. So just to kind of set the conversation up with the audience, so they know it's coming their way. You have recently been through a CEO succession and this is significant for CPSI, right? Because your, your previous CEO was there for Decades. 17 years. There we go. 17 and years, but he was a number eight employee of the company. Wow. So. Yeah. So a little bit of influence there. And so, yeah. Okay. And so okay. you, and your new CEO was appointed just this past spring, right? July 1st, actually. So he started as our new CEO July 1st. Um, and okay. CEO transition 
you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people on this call maybe that have gone through um, or maybe a lot that have never gone through it. I can tell you, and I tell this to the chairman of the board all the time, I'm like, you all fooled me because when we went through the um, interview process, there was no mention of potentially having a massive CEO um, transition and change and succession plan and putting all that into effect. Um, so we, you know, happy to talk about that in, in more detail. But that was a that was a pretty interesting journey and one that I will probably for uh, want to forget some pieces, but I'll say I'll remember for the rest of my career that that process. Well, you know what? Let's let's talk about it now. I mean, we're we're, we're talking about it. Let's let's go into the depth because, folks, the other area that that Amaris is willing to share with everyone is um, is the way that she has uh, restructured HR and um, is really leveraging the capability of her team and uh, you know to to really focus on their individual strengths and. You know, when it comes to strategic advisors to the business, Amaris is really a, and her team are great examples of this. So she's willing to share how she's looking at that. But your CEO succession is such an interesting one, Amaris, because, you know, you shared with us uh, that, oh, by the way, folks, and this isn't my, you know, I do speak a little Spanish, un poco, and, or is it poquito, poquito. Yeah. All right. And then, but your name is gift from God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Maris is gift from God. And I only know that. That's, that's that a big load. That's a big way right. that I have to make sure I keep up with. Right. No pressure. It's, it's no, no pressure at all. Right. <laughs> no. and, and, and so you're the gift to the, to the call today, which is great. But, but, Tell us about, you came in and your board gave you what timeline here to work with a CEO succession. Tell us how that all, what transpired yeah, no, from there. No, absolutely, Kevin. So maybe I'll give a little bit of the picture, right? I started in uh, May of last year and about in August, I get a call from the comp committee chair and she's like, we've never really had a succession plan. Like they have a CEO, like very high level, like all publicly traded companies have to have for, you know, disclosure and but we really didn't have a succession plan. So he, she's like, we, we really need to have a talent review and a succession plan. And by the way, can we do it by end of the year? And I'm new to the role. We're in the middle of transformation. We're changing pretty much everything. And I said, no problem. We'll get to, you know, we'll do it. So we had our first true succession plan and talent review discussions in the company's history in December and January of that year. Through all that, we really didn't anticipate that the CEO was going to go anywhere or anytime soon. So we, we were pretty intentional about who we were put, putting in those um, boxes and what their development plans were and, and having a really honest conversations with the you know, individuals as well as with the board of what that meant. Little did I know at that point that it was going to be put into effect, right? Um, two or three months later, it's March, April, um, where we get the communication that, and it's March because I was actually um, in the beach through, uh, and I get a call saying, hey, I'm, I'm announcing I'm going to be disclosing that I'm going to be intending to retire and in the next few months. And I'm like, uh, in the next few months, what do you mean? Like maybe in a year or two, that would be great. But in the next few months, and he's like, no, I, it's time. And we'll talk a little bit about why it's time, because I think it made sense. And he probably was the most um, graceful, you know, just in, in understanding where we were going and how that change was necessary for us to get where we were going. 
but he makes that call. And, and as you can imagine, we have to turn everything on like immediately because there's all regulatory things about this that we have to go through. And I sit with the chair of the board, which I knew well, but not super well. We became very close to the process and we looked at our timeline. We looked at kind of when earnings call was. We looked at when the board was getting together and we said, we have 51 days to make this happen and really activate our succession plan, which is what are we going to do with our internal successor, but also be responsible for a true search and a market scan so that we can select the best CEO for this organization for what we want to do in the future. So I will tell you that we talked to four firms, um, two of them uh, really were the ones we were between two out of the four. And we said, we, this is what we want. We want to assess our internal person end to end, but we also want to do a market scan and have some interviews and have a kind of a decision made by the board by end of April. And they're like, that's impossible. Like it's going to take you at least 16 weeks plus. You're going to have to go through multiple rounds and the two that said it was impossible, obviously we're not in the, in the mix. The two that said, well, let's see how we can make this happen. We're in the mix. And in 45 days, Kevin, we went through um, bringing everyone on the board along through that process because it was very fast. We had multiple interviews um, of the external, you know, kind of market scan candidates. We had an over 10 hour interview um, or internal assessment done to the internal um, CEO, COO, which ultimately became our CEO and um, had, a, I would say, three hour debate during board meeting of, you know, the pros and cons. And ultimately, they all voted for him to get the role. So it was um, it was probably one of the most stressful times um, <laughs> that I've experienced in my career because it was a big weight of making sure we were doing the right thing for our people, we were doing the right thing for the organization, for the individuals going through the process, um, and ultimately that it was the best decision, you know, for for the organization. So, what so, was what was so what what did you find were the critical tipping points that allowed you to go from you know the 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 consensus, which was, that's just impossible. You're going to need a lot more time to actually being able to get it done. What was critical to that? I would say three things. Number one, it was choosing the right partner, um, external partner for us to do this. Um, we think many of us have worked with um, firms, you know, through the years, the big firms that are, do a lot of retainers and succession, et cetera. And, because of time, because of who we are as a culture, so we are much more casual, we're very much relationship driven, we had to find the right partner for our culture, and someone that was willing to be flexible, um, and someone that I knew could be at the end having a point of view on the decision and would be credible from a board perspective. So I would say that was number one, choosing the right partner. The board in general had more relationships with the second one that we, that we didn't choose, so that was, we had to convince them that they were great, but they were not the right one for us. And the one that we went with ultimately truly demonstrated flexibility. They understood the business really well. They were, they were really kind of on the phone with me pretty much every day for the duration of the 45 days. That's number one. It was the firm choosing the right one for the situation at the right moment. The second is the, the chairman relationship. So the chairman and I were probably together from the beginning of the process to the end. So making sure that I was managing kind of the stakeholders internally 
that I was also giving input to the board members on what the capability of the internal person was, and that also he was managing their you know expectations of the board and the timing and the decisions that had to be done. We had to be like lock and loaded. And I would say that was probably the biggest point of success of the process was the 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 connection and the alignment that there was between the chair of the board, which was managing the process, obviously, on his end, and then me internally. And how then the your, third piece. Can I, can I, yeah, go ahead. Again. I was say, was, has that changed your relationship then, if you think about like pre uh this like really crazy time right and then now do you, what's that like now and how is that different it, it definitely it, cha- it will change it forever because when you're that aligned with someone for so long you, you build um you just build a different relationship um i would tell you the one of the things we got from the vendor was she's like i've never seen the dynamic of a chro and a and a chair of the board that way like Cause we get along really well. We are, you know, we poke at each other. We make fun of each other. Like it's, it's a very good, healthy relationship. So from their end as an external party, they're like, we, we haven't experienced that. I mean, it's always much more, you know, the chairman and the CHRL, they're both kind of a little more strict. So the other piece, honestly, I think I'm at the table actually from now on to for every board meeting. And I actually am part of the whole board. So that change. So the, the, thought that HR kind of sits on the side or maybe as the come committee or comes in as part that went out the window culture and talent they're actually in every single board agenda for the only you know for, for the foreseeable future um, and and broader it is about the coaching component of the different board members and, and me kind of being able to observe that and it it is also the appreciation understanding that every decision we're making strategically has a people impact or the other way around we actually influence every decision that's made strategically because of that people had. So that has, that completely shifted the conversation. So it's been extremely positive and um, it's a lot of weight that comes with it because I don't get to just present once a quarter and kind of, you know, maybe come back in three quarters. And when you, everyone that has been through board meetings, they know it's a lot of work to get to a board meeting, but at the same time we have, we have the platform. We've been asking to be part of the conversation. We've been asking to be at the table to make decisions. So now we got it. Now, now we got to keep up with it. So Amadis, was it that way? Because your CEO, Chris Fowler, is very much around people first type of business strategy. Was it that way prior to Chris coming in, or was that part of the change that the former CEO wanted and the board wanted with this change? Can, can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say kind of. So the board was very focused on bringing this role. So there was no CHRO prior to me coming into the role. So HR sat under finance. So it was much more administrative compliance and function. And part of the transformation and the, the move to our growth strategy was that we needed to have kind of a, a head of HR that really sat at the table and that was much more strategic, et cetera. So that movement was already happening to kind of answer part of your question. People and HR was a topic in some of the old board meetings. And the former CEO also was very much inclined to how much can we bring her in and and make sure it's part of the conversation. 
it wasn't a standing topic. So we had to have a specific like agenda item. And I think someone just, you know, posted what kind of topics do you typically discuss in board meetings? I would say, gosh, I've discussed all of them. Anything from, you know, DEI to kind of listening strategy to being able to talk about how are we changing our operating model to support the business to looking at data and saying, here's, you know, we turnover kind of metrics and saying, what are we doing about it? Or do we care about the turnover? So I've kind of gone the gamut of, if you think about HR functions, we probably touched on everything in the past year on some way, shape or form at the board meetings, but it did shift with Chris taking over um, because of his focus on people first. And we talked a little bit about that. I'm sure you're going to ask me more. What does that mean? Um, but when when he said and stated, we are a people first organization. And what that means is that our decisions will be made in the lens of how it's impacting our people. How is it enabling our people? Are we doing the right thing for our people? Is it supporting their growth mindset, et cetera? Then that really turned the conversation because if we're stating that, then we actually have to back it up with ensuring that everyone, including the board, is on the same page of how critical that is to the success of the overall business strategy. So it did, I would say, it, it elevated, Kevin. It started a, probably a year and some ago with the new role and, you know, me being kind of in the, at the board meetings, just having a presentation of some sorts or engaging the board in some way. Uh-huh. But it really has augmented to a whole different level now. And it sounds like the crisis of filling this leadership role really accelerated that elevation, right, as well? Yes. Can you talk about, too, from your perspective, like if you were the the chair of the board, what kind of people metrics would you be asking for to gauge the success of workforce planning and all, you know, all the the people, people signs? I laugh because this is the one part that the board is pushing me on, and I've been a little skittyish about answering for them. Uh, and I'll tell you why. The, the reason I'm, I'm kind of going around it is because we have not a great system and we don't have great metrics. So I told them, I said, I can produce any metric you want me to, like from a traditional hires and turnover and some mobility and diversity. But, so what? Like, w- w- what is that telling you, right? So and, and this was a debate and we, it was a heated debate on the last board meeting because I said, I'm not going to give you those metrics because it takes tons of time for us in our current system. We're moving to a new system and we'll have a much easier way of getting it. But right now it's very manual. And I'm not going to have a team of very small team of 11 trying to pull this together for just showing you metrics. So to your question, Catherine, what I would like to see if I was in the chair role is what I would like to give to them in the next year. And it really is more around outcome-driven metrics. So for example, you know, turnover is a a great example to me. Just saying turnover really gives no context to do we care about people leaving or not. And the reason I say that is we have functions where we want higher turnover because we need to make sure we're changing some of the culture dynamics and the toxicity, as you mentioned earlier, of some groups that just you know, we don't have the right skills or we may not have the right mindsets or so I'm okay with that turnover. But if I present you that data and I don't give you the context, you'll be like, oh my gosh, you're losing too many people. And we're like, Mm -hmm. we're okay losing those people uh, because are there people that we need to exit? On the flip side is if we've identified key talent, those that are very niche, those that are really the change agents or the people that are driving culture change big time, and I'm losing those people, 
that I care about, right? There, there may be a handful of them. They may be kind of a small group, but those that regrettable turnover to me shows more value than just showing you turnover data. That's one example. And the other example that I would say I would you know include is it's really the mobility factor. So we are in the world where we're really trying to change the fact that movement doesn't only have to go up. And I know many of people in this call probably have gone through this, where movement can be lateral, where you need to grow skills and you need to grow in kind of scope. And, and how do we recognize and reward that movement? So again, mobility historically has always been like how many people got promoted and what percentage of that is you know organizational and what percentage of that is diverse. But I'm like, but are we actually... Why, why do we care about seeing how many people get promoted if our intent is to flatten an organization, to have people have better accountability across their roles and ultimately give them more opportunity to move and to grow in different ways? And if we're trying to do that, then is that measurement the right one? Probably not. Probably not. So that would be in an ideal world of where I want to be in a year and also where I would like boards to focus more is less about so many metrics that we spend so many hours and hours putting dashboards that are metrics that are stagnant to me a little bit. And I know this is my personal opinion, so I'm not, <laughs> some people may think very differently, but really looking at three to four to five metrics that are really moving the needle on the outcomes of the organization once, and that are really going to drive the story behind why, are, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? And then how are you making it happen? That's yeah, where I, I would like us to you know, Amarisa, what, what you're sharing is what we s sensed and saw. And by the way, I want to ask um, Brett Larson, get ready. I'm going to ask you to come off um, mute here for a moment to ask your question of Amaris. Um, but Amaris, what, what we're seeing, and we've, we are about to launch a new survey in the start of September of a group of corporate board directors. And we did the same thing about a year and a half ago. It was around what kind of human capital metrics would you like to see versus what you're currently getting? And there's no doubt the board directors want as much data as you could possibly give them. But what, what's more important is this, what they're looking for from the CHRO is what are the data that matter most given where we're going as an organization? And the, it's the story. It's the context. It's I'm going to share with you, there are certain data points I want to show with you over time to show you the trending, but I'm going to occasionally show you one here because it matters because of what we're doing right here. And I may not show you that next time, but this one is really critical. So I, I would applaud you in, in taking that approach and, um, and uh, we will make sure you get the survey that we send out in September, or excuse me, it's not for HR, but I'll send it to you to send to your board because it'd be good for your board to actually take it um, in the beginning of September. And so Brett, you are uh, hopefully poised to come off mute. Do you want to have a question for Amaris? Yes. Um, I was wondering, you had said that you would have rated your culture kind of in the good category. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, one, do you want to be in the great category? And two, if so, what's the plan to get there? Well, thank you, Brett, for the question. Uh, I would absolutely be in the great. I think if you ask anyone on my team, I strive for nothing but greatness. And they probably are exhausted at this point because of that. But um, yes, the, the goal is great. And um, great question. So a couple of things we're doing to probably shift and evolve to get to that great is we started with kind of the why work. And I'll say the why work in a simple way. It's really going back to the core of what is our purpose? 
Like, what do we do? Why do we do it? What's kind of the value that we're bringing as an organization? And we we want to reframe that. And then we looked at our our values. And that's one of the first things that we said with the new CEO is we had a set of values that were in the back of the card that no one probably knew. I, I could bet 80% of the company didn't know what they were. And, and they were not being used. They were not being used to make decisions. They were not being used. So that's one of the first buckets of work is the why work, I'll call it. And it's purpose and it's values. And we just finished actually last week putting the first draft of our new values Um and I've only shared with a few people in, in, in the group and they're pretty, in my opinion, they're, they're very different, right? We're not picking the traditional words anymore. We're defining them different. And I'll, I'll share with you one example and, you know, not even my team has heard about them, but, um, you know, one of them is embrace the fun. Like we want to be a fun organization and then we have pockets that are do a lot of good work, but as a whole, we want to embrace the fun. So how do we do that? Right. And it is by, you know, like our definitions are as simple as laughs prescribed daily and grin don't grind. That's it. That's the definition. It's not super corporate lingo. It's just kind of what we expect. Um, and same with kind of, you know, you, you mentioned the greatness. Get after greatness. Be bold. Take chances. So that's going to mean you're going to have to be curious. It's going to mean you're going to have to fail and fail fast at times. It's going to mean that you're going to have to embrace learning. So that's one of the things that we're doing to change culture. Number two is listening. So we put together a listening strategy. And one of the pieces of listening is a survey with different dimensions. We've done a lot of research, including our first CP research that we've leveraged. And it's how do we test, you know, and really understand kind of where our organization is at on a, on a quarterly or bi-yearly basis. And how do we allow leaders to just pick things that make sense for their businesses so that they can start changing the culture. And it's not across the board. Everyone has to do the same thing. So that's number two. Number three is um, we had no career framework. So for 20 something, almost 30 years, our jobs were not put in a framework. There was no clarity on growth opportunity. There was no clarity on skill um, development. So we're actually launching and deploying a whole new set of career framework. And as part of that, we're also implementing a new technology workday. So we're doing it all at the same time because we have nothing else to do except make sure we're transforming end to end. But it was it was the way that we're thinking about people first organization. And I'll show a visual and how we think about process, you know, and really technology and people and touch each of those components as we think about the evolution of the culture. And maybe the last piece I'll touch on is from a DEI lens, because I think we live in a world where that has to be really front and centered, is we didn't have a, a DEI um, business kind of group or even an HR being a function. So we actually put a council together in the past year, and they're really the ones driving the agenda of what's priority, how do we inform to the board at times, how do we build better education and awareness um, across the organization. So it's by the people, to the people. And uh, and that's been just a great journey to see their evolution of where they started and where they're at today. So those are just some ideas. I probably have 15 um, that I can kind of keep going, but that's just to give you a flavor of what we've been um, doing in the past even few months. That is so exciting. There's so much happening. Um, and no wonder the function has been elevated at, at such in the board. It really makes a lot of sense. I think now would be a good time too to show um, your people first uh, slide as well so we can kind of transition and talk about that. And while you're bringing that up, I 
just want to make sure I'll I do it right. So bear with me, <laughs> making sure it's working. Um, I want to. Can you see? Thank Thomas for his comment. He said, seems like a very enlightened business focused approach to metrics. You are educating the leaders about that process while doing it. Bravo. Excellent. Thank and you. I appreciate that. Gary says, congratulations on your success, Amari. Thanks for sharing your compelling story regarding CEO succession and beyond. Great comments. Make sure to post your questions in the chat, everyone. Yeah, Amaris, just real quickly, are you are you spending time with the business leaders? Are they aware of the metrics you're thinking about that are really critical to report up to the board too, so that they're aligned with that as well? Is that part of the process? Absolutely. Um, that was actually part that we just had that conversation with the board about a month ago, and we shared um, a little bit of how we were thinking about it with the people, you know, the leaders of the organization um, a few weeks ago. And as we go into truly the fall, which is where we're really pushing these metrics, it's it's important for them to also understand what they want to see, what would be helpful for them. Um, I would say half of the times they're like, I don't know, we're changing everything. I don't even know what to tell you, Amadis. But I would say there's very, there's very distinct views and metrics, and we're very mindful of that. And I think we have to meet somewhere in the middle at this point, my role has been a lot more of education out than hearing the leader say, here's what I need and here's what I need and here's what I need. Um, but I think that's also intentional. So going back a little bit to our, our model, maybe we'll talk about that because I, I just mentioned the people, people process technology and how we were thinking about structuring ourselves in a way that we're maximizing business value, that we're making sure our, our operational, you know, kind of capability is, is operational excellence, and that we're really driving this digital transformation, which we hear a lot about, I think for years, you know, and many of us have been in companies 15 years ago that were doing digital transformations. But what that means to us is we're literally looking end-to-end -end about all our systems, all our processes and all our people practices across the business. So this is not just an HR people thing. It's in the IT organization, in the business organizations and revamping, sometimes scratching and sometimes building and sometimes elevating what they have. So it is, it's fairly massive, but that's kind of how we were thinking about the people first. And this is really what, what we were talking about, Kevin, is how do I how do I align my I know our model to support the business um, structure better? And if you look at this and you've been in the people HR world, you're like, well, Amadi's kind of sort of this this has been this model is fairly simple. It's been going on for a lot of you know a long time, and and it's true it has been. And I think we said we kind of changed the centers of excellence probably 15 years ago at this point. And it's really kind of how do we elevate and how do we make sure we scale the differences? Maybe that's where I would say it's a little different. And I'm going to show a lot more detail here. So bear with me is we kind of jumped a step. So when we were looking at our internal team and you asked this question earlier, we have a very small team. And when I started with seven, we're probably up to 11 right now, but it's very small. When you think about all the things that we're talking about, and the level of transformation and change that we're going through. And one of the things that we made the decision on is we know people partners, HR business partners are a very valuable piece to the model of HR, but we don't have them truly in that scope. So why don't we just kind of go to the next level of advisory and say, we're just going to focus on talent strategic initiatives. So these individuals don't do 
all the performance management help and compensation end of the year and um, ER cases and like they they don't they don't touch any of the traditional operational processes that at times HR VPs have done. And I said, let's just go forward and say, what are how are we going to make sure that what the business needs has clear talent initiatives and implications tied to everything they do, every decision they make, and that we're using our values and that we're using our you know prioritization of initiatives and business kind of strategy to deliver the right work. So kind of going back and forth, right? Them influencing what people experts is doing, but people experts influencing what people partners are doing. And that it's very much forward focus versus the day-to-day operations that we still have to manage because we're a function of support at the end of the day too. So that's really the major shift that we made from a model. And then the last piece that I'll kind of comment on is Instead of trying to put people in roles that kind of sort of made sense, I said, where are the strengths of my team? Because we're so small. And how do I make sure I augment what they're really good at and kind of scratch what they may not be good at? And then I'll try to supplement that somehow. And that was probably a fairly different way of doing org design is sometimes putting people in the roles, but that's kind of where I landed. Um, And I had the flexibility to do so, which was nice. Can, can I ask, because I know uh, over 70% of organizations have either recently, you know, redesigned their HR or are planning to, this is a really big topic. Um, and one of the questions we hear a lot is how did you upskill your HRBPs to, to, to um, you know, support these new roles for them? Can you talk a little bit about that process and how you got buy-in as well amongst your people? Absolutely. And one of them is here can talk to the fact that I just put her in it and said, let's just do it. And like, let's run as we actually build the, the car. Yeah. So, you know, the, the upskilling many times we struggle because it's easier to bring someone from outside that already has the experience. And I'm not saying that that's not true in some cases it is, but on the flip side, it takes a lot of time to, to kind of incorporate someone into the culture and into the dynamics and to understand the business. So to be very frank, it was putting them on the roll and saying, here's what we're doing. And you're going to have to go to I4CP and you're going to have to go to Gardner and you're going to have to do LinkedIn learning. And as you're building and as you're guiding the business on what does org design mean and what do we need to do and what does workforce planning mean, you're going to learn as you go and you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to be sure, and you're going to have to phone a friend or phone me or phones. But that was the way we upskilled them. We said, here's the new role. We know you have the capability, and you're going to have to learn as you go. And they're not going to be experts, and they're not going to be kind of knowing, you know, end-to-end. That That's how I really upskilled them. And I know it's probably not a super um, clinical way of upskilling, but I figured how better to have the opportunity to develop and have growth while you're doing the job and also in an environment and I guess maybe that's the difference where it's hopefully safe to do so and you know just, like having the support to do it I, I, I just want to jump in here just to kind of leverage the power of the community since this is such an important topic here and um it, PC Bryant from Norfolk Southern another I4CP member came in and said you know, love this. We're doing the same thing at Norfolk Southern. PC, can you can you come off mute and just kind of share what you're doing from a from a standpoint of realigning? You know, your whether it's your realignment of the HR business partners or just capability um, in general. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. We're uh, we're in a very similar um, place. We've got HR folks who've either uh, grown up only here, and the HR here has been kind of a transactional drive-through window kind of that I use that example um, or that analogy. And then we've got some people that we've hired but are still fairly new in their career. They haven't done more some of the more sophisticated organizational change, organizational design. So without sounding too much, and I don't know, Kevin, if you wanted this, but too much like a commercial, you know, we're pointing them to I4CP. Like, what are you doing to leverage that? What are you doing to meet your peers or connect with other colleagues and learn as you go? Because the way that we're structured, we are also, you know, only got a handful. I've got a big gap between myself and, and my team in terms of their experience of doing this. So I can only be so many places. So I have to kind of get them out there and, and let them try and, uh, and learn. And we might stub our toes, but you know, we're going to learn a lot in that. So that's, that's how we're, we're doing it. Sounds very much um, like what's going on uh, in other organizations. So, and you have to balance, right? Pisa, I'm sure yeah. you've seen this to your point. You have to balance that there's things, for example, we're implementing Workday. We made we signed the contract about a couple of weeks ago. We're doing a 1123 live. So we are literally 16 and a half weeks to implement the system. And it's gonna take all of us, and I'm gonna have to hire someone that knows it to ultimately lead it and own it at the end. Like that, that's the reality. Upskilling in that space is not as easy. It's gonna take more time. So, you know, if anyone knows some awesome ops manager that wants to do Workday, you know, kind of HRIS ownership too, great, feel free. Uh, but that is something that, piece to your point, like it, that, that's a harder upskilling versus when I think of very capable um, HR professionals that have great influencing skills, have great communication skills, understand the business, can listen, can be creative in solutions. If you have those, I can, you know, we can train or design. You can be trained on workforce planning. You can be trained. Like those are just kind of capabilities and knowledge that can be learned. It may take them longer, but because they have the trust, they have the respect, they have the other capabilities, it's way smoother and they get more grace as part of that journey too. Yeah, I'm selecting for core kind of raw materials and and you know capacity and and willingness and and how they partner and collaboration and then I can teach them the the technical components. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think someone asked um if I don't know if they asked like how we lost anyone or was that a question? I, I see the pop-ups but I'm not quick enough to well, go 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 with whatever you think you should just saw, Amadis. <laughs> whatever I, I saw. Yeah, did you have whoever asked this out. question, wash yeah, out yet? Yeah. Did you have what any washout? Yeah, that, that was mine. This is Tom. Um, my question was, did you have any washout on your team and any lessons learned from the approach that you took? Yeah, so um, I, I don't think I've had any washouts. No, I, I know no one. No one has left. Um, and at times I thought so because there was a lot of demand. So I would say no one has washed out and we've had a great growth journey together. Um, so everyone knew clearly what we were pivoting to. They may not have understood all the changes and the implications and maybe how 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 much there was going to happen, but it was clear from the beginning. There was buy-in within three months of the team of we're here, we're going to do this. And I think in general, I, I found through many roles in my career, most people want to grow. There's some that don't. There's some that are really, really comfortable saying, I'm done. I'm not doing anything. But there's people that if they have the right kind of support, if they have the right environment, if they have the right opportunity to be able to grow what they're good at and what they feel they can add value in, they will see that opportunity. And that's what I've found. 
Um, so no washouts. And I think still, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, right now with workday, maybe everyone's eyes are like, holy smokes. But um, in general, it's been it's been a great journey. And, and, and learnings that I've had through that communication, I, I you can't communicate enough. And I've been very good at times of communicating a lot. And I've been maybe not as good at times at communicating uh, just because we're moving so, so fast. So I try to be mindful of over communicating. And number two is trusting my team. Um, I told them from day one that I would. I try to live by my word every single day and then back them up when they need help or make a mistake and show them that, you know, we're in this together and ultimately, you know, they have the ownership to, to move, to make decisions and to make mistakes too. So I think those have been the, the two biggest lessons that I've learned through that journey. Thank you. So Amadis, just as you know, as we're coming to close, I think one thing, and I and I would like to see it, Julie Sexton from Lando Lakes, please feel free to come off mute. I'd love to see if you and Amadis can tag team on this. You know, when you are asking of HR to play a more, to drive more strategic insight and to be able to really drive the agenda with the business leader, clearly it, it, you're expecting a lot more of HR, you're expecting a lot more of the insights they're presenting um, of their capability. But what are you doing to prepare or work with the line leader so that the line leader isn't sitting there going, well, that's not what I want. I, I want, I want headcount. I want you to find me a, a replacement over here, you know, where they're acting more in partnership around that. Julie, first off, Julie, are you there? And do you have anything you could share? I was on looking. That? All right, Julie might not be there anymore, but Amadeus, how are you dealing with that? And, and um, okay, hey, Amadeus, would you mind, someone had asked, would you mind showing that last slide you had up where you showed the various uh, um, uh, expectations you had of each of the roles of HR? Someone asked yeah. if you could repost that for a moment. No problem, I'm gonna do that while I answer. Hopefully I can multitask, right? That one? Is that, that I, I think that's the one. Yes. Okay. And, if, and whoever asked if this is not the one, just please ping me again. Okay. So to, to answer your question, Kevin, it, it, is a, it is a fine line of how much do we push and pull from the business. And number one this year, so we actually sat, um, it was four of us that sat and thought about what is going to be our budgeting process. So that was not just the CFO deciding what the process was going to be. It was, um, it was people, it was, you know, transformation officer, CEO, uh, CFO, and a business leader. So we changed kind of what our budgeting process is to, um, I don't know what you call it, but I say start at zero. So everyone has to go in and start at zero, the budgeting process this year. And part of that was to be really mindful of talent initiatives. So because historically they take what they have and they just say, well, I need a little more head kind of little head here's what I have, but they don't really think about what the implications of that is or what turnover implications do you have and do you want to address that or do you have engagement issues and that's what you want to address or do you have growth challenges whatever it is we are all in those conversations together so we got the strategic objectives from a financial kind of metrics that people have to deliver on and then we have our you know budgeting cycle and then it becomes what does that mean from a people and then what are you prioritizing and how do we make sure you incorporate it, not just on the financials, but also on your strategic plan. So that's completely changed this year 
to even a, you know, six months or a year ago where that was not at all the conversation that we were having. So that's important because it should influence to your point, our agenda. Um, and some of our agenda is fairly infrastructure that we were going to do regardless of what the business wants or needs. But I think where we have more of the advisory and where we have more of the, I'll say, fudge of, of where do we want to spend our money or where do we want to invest from programs, from support, that's where it comes in is what does, does the business need and how do we make sure we're really aligned to that? Does that answer the question, Kevin and Catherine? Uh, from my vantage point, it does. Catherine, anything from you? Oh, no, I just, I think it's so amazing considering it was like 2007 when, you know, John Verdreau and Pete Ramstead produced that book. It showed like 77% of HR's activities were just, you know, administrative. And and look how how far it's come and, um, and the, the, the level of strategy and integration that is happening among the different functions. It's really, really wonderful to see. It's exciting. It's exciting to be in, an, in a role and also in an organization and in a function that you can have so much influence. It's exciting where you can see people recognizing that our changes are making a difference to them and that we're adding value differently. Or when you have leaders that, you know, you're on the back and call, right? Call me, like, I need your advice. And it's not just on a people matter. It's on a strategic business matter. When you can merge and converge those two things, that's kind of when you know, okay, we're we're going forward. We're on the right track. So, um, you know, and I get the privilege to to do that every day. So I'm, it's it's a happy place to be. Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high-performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Uh, Registration is open for our Next Practices Now conference in late March this year in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, It's an annual tradition that we're super excited to be back to after two years of being virtual only. It is both in-person and virtual, so if you can't make it in Scottsdale, you do have that other option. And there'll be a lot more information coming on the speaker lineup very soon. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.